Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Lightning fans, you found the right show for everything you need to know about your favorite team in the NHL. It's the Lightning Insider Podcast with Eric Erlinson. Get ready for insight, historical perspective, interviews, and breaking news that comes from a reporter insider who's got near 20 years on the Tampa Bay Lightning beat. Now for the latest with the Lightning, here's Eric. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the LightningInsider.com podcast. I'm Eric Erlinson alongside my co-host, Greg Linelli from Lightning Power Play and Lightning Radio. Catch him weekdays, Monday through Friday on Lightning Power Play. You can find that on the iHeart app with Power Lunch with Dave Mishkin and, of course, the pregame intermission and postgame host as well for all Lightning Radio broadcasts. We're coming at you with four games left in the regular season for Tampa Bay, two against the Dallas Stars, then two against the Florida Panthers before the playoffs get underway, and we still don't know what that date is going to be. We know what it was supposed to be, but obviously things have moved around. So we'll still have to wait a little bit longer to find out exactly when the playoffs might start. But with that in mind, let's bring in Greg Linelli right now. And Greg, we got a lot to talk about. Uh, Let's start first and foremost with what happened around the league or specifically between the Washington Capitals and the New York Rangers in their game on Tuesday or Monday night uh, involving Tom Wilson, Artemi Panarin, Pavel Buchnevich, and that whole situation where Tom Wilson, as he tends to do, got a little over the top in some of his handlings. And the fact that after all of that, he received just a $5,000 fine with no further discipline expected. Um very uh, highly debated topic. I'm curious what your thoughts are on what went down. Yeah. Well, first, even for the NFL or the NFL, that was an NFL hit. (laughs) Even for the NHL, I was surprised E at the penalty or lack thereof. I mean, $5,000. Come on. That that's embarrassing. Tom Wilson has a problem, but you know where the bigger problem is the NHL and their department of player safety. I mean, that's the biggest issue. And Wilson has been suspended a total of 30 games throughout his career, I think I read, and a little over a million and a half dollars he's had to fork out being suspended. I think the last suspension he had, he had some comments about how he needed to change and that even missing one game was one too many. He needed to be out there because his teammates rely on him. And What's sad about this situation for Wilson is that he is a good player. He's a really good player. He changes the game like few do in the NHL with his physicality. But he should be suspended for the rest of the year. He shouldn't play until next year. And if you want to hold him out until next year, then that's fine. What he did to a player on the ice who was defenseless, you can't defend that. He also targeted two guys who are skilled players, and in Panarin's case, a star. 
who, I mean, he was moving him up and down and throwing him on the ice like he was, you know, a, a punching bag. So Wilson has problems, but the NHL has problems too. He, I thought for sure he was going to get suspended, at least a game. But to be slapped on the wrist with $5,000, to me, that's the message that you send to Wilson that, you know what, you can you can get away with it. And until the league gets serious about it, he, they have nobody to blame but themselves. Yeah, I, I've got a lot of thoughts rattling around in the hollow part above my neck thinking about this. Um, first, The first part is, is I remember a number of years ago when Vinny Prospel played here. Vinny Prospel received a suspension for a play in which he was over the top of another player and he had a stick like he was going to cross check to the head, right? He didn't do it. He got suspended for it because the league saw intent there. So please tell me if a guy like Tom Wilson is engaged with a player like Artemi Panarin, who's about 60 pounds lighter than he is, and he grabs him and he body slams him to the ice, what's your intent there? Especially, and maybe Wilson didn't know it, when Panarin has lost his helmet. And how much different is this being viewed if Panarin hit his head on the ice due to that force and he, he's in the hospital right now or if he was not able to play hockey ever again. You know, it, it conjures up so much thought. And you know, what's the old saying? If, if, if those who don't learn from their history are doomed to repeat it, the whole Steve Moore, Todd Bertuzzi situation. And Todd Bertuzzi did end Steve's Moore career. He did with a play in which he body slammed Steve Moore to the ice. And if anybody doesn't remember that, that was in retribution for a hit Moore, who then played for Colorado, put on Matt's Nasland, uh, Marcus Nasland, sorry, for Vancouver at the time. And it did end Steve Moore's career. This could have ended Artemi Panarin's career. Now, there was retribution, there was payback, so there was motive there be a little bit harder to argue motive in this situation. It, it's a spur of the moment thing, but the actions could very well have resulted the same way. And if you don't think that that's a problem, if it's okay for the NHL to go back and say, ah, eh, it's just a scrum. It's just a wrestling situation. As Peter Laviolette sort of mentioned after the game, then that's a problem. If anybody has seen, go find John Scott's Twitter account. And what he said about the whole situation today, and this is a guy who served plenty of suspensions in his day, certainly plenty of fights in his day. He, he played the Tom Wilson role in terms of enforcer and maybe crossing the line and certainly dancing the line quite a bit. Go look at his thoughts. But then you also see, and this is where I have some issues with, the people who are defending this, saying that, uh, any other NHL team would love to have Tom Wilson on their team, or the only way to combat Tom Wilson is to fight Tom Wilson. That's ludicrous, ridiculous, and it's unbelievable that people think that that's the best way to deal with the situation. And now what it's put forth, and again, we're recording this on Tuesday, the Rangers and Capitals play again. And Rangers head coach David Quinn has already said, basically, they're going to find some way to have to deal with the situation. So rather than the league stepping in 
and taking care of it as they should have with a suspension, with a suspension that should have given Tom Wilson the Matt Cook treatment. And as, as you know, Greg, very well from 2011, when Matt Cook was suspended for the remainder of the regular season and the first round of the playoffs. Of course, that was against Tampa Bay. So he missed, he was, he was done. He, he missed the rest of the season because the Lightning came back and won that series after being down 3-1. If you don't think that the league should have handled it that way and sent the right message, now you have a different problem on your hands because the Rangers have nothing to play for. They're out of the playoffs. They've been eliminated. The Capitals should be getting ready for the playoffs. What happens if they call up somebody for their minor league team and they decide, you know what? I'm going to run Nicholas Backstrom. I'm going to take him out because of the way Tom Wilson treated our star player. And now you have another problem. And if that gets out of hand, I, I can't see anything good coming out of that. And that's why I think this was handled so improperly by the NHL and NHL player safety. And I wish they would have handled things differently. Well, and the question is, what's George Paris thinking? I mean, he's an enforcer too, was an enforcer. I mean, he's seeing the same things we're seeing. I mean, that to me, there's a huge disconnect here because he knows the pressure that comes with hits like this. He knows that he has to protect certain players. And let's face it, I don't think the NHL's done a great job of protecting their stars anyways over the no. years. And so maybe, again, the NHL, as I go back to what I said to you before, has nobody to blame but themselves. We ask, how are we going to get beyond this? The way you change that behavior is you hit him in the pocketbook and you suspend him severely. You mentioned Matt Cook, and I, I wanted to go back and refresh my memory a little bit because I wanted a little bit more context when it came to that suspension. And Josh Yowie, who writes now for The Athletic and covers Pittsburgh for them, brought up a good point. He said it wasn't the suspension necessarily that changed Matt Cook. Mary Lemieux had to sit down with him. Yeah. And said, if you don't change, you're not going to play. I don't think Washington has had that conversation with Tom Wilson. <laughs> so in many ways, you need to take care of your own business. But if they're not going to do it, then the NHL has to step in and they have to look at Wilson and say, listen, particularly in an era where we have to protect players, these hits to the head and, and how violent they've become, they're a big problem for us. So you need to sit. You need to sit for a while. And we really need to hit your pocketbooks. If that doesn't get his attention, then you can move on and, and think about another course of action. But I think that's the route they needed to take. And a $5,000 fine that's beyond embarrassing. That's beyond embarrassing. That tells me, again, that you're not really serious about protecting players and the safety for them, which is one of the reasons why we continue to have these conversations about player safety. What's a hit? What's not a hit? What are you allowed to do? What aren't you allowed to do? The reason why the officiating gets it wrong at times and the reason why there is this inconsistency with hits to the head and whether they should be suspension worthy or something else is because the league is inconsistent with these rulings and it starts there. Yeah. And I don't know how you can expect the team to have a conversation with Tom Wilson when the team's media account, social media account sends out a tweet 
shortly after that says the Washington Capitals choose violence. Yeah. So there you go. They're encouraging the behavior. So if they're going to encourage it, then the league needs to understand that they need to come down harder on that because you're right. And they took down that tweet, which just, you know, verifies or proves your point that they probably looked and said, eh, it's not a good look. Yeah. Why did you even put that up now? They put it up there because they weren't afraid. And why did it take a half an hour for it to be pulled down? It was out there because for 30 minutes. They they didn't think it was a bad play. Yeah. Or they are daring the league to do something because they know the league hasn't typically done it. Yeah, and and again, That's this is problem. not and this is not like it's a first time situation. This is a player no. with, a, with a deep history of these type of plays and he's gotten away with like even worse with some of the yeah. hits that he's delivered for what they call the hitting zone or yeah. You know, it was just a, it was just a hockey play. I mean, look, we know scrums happen all the time, especially around the goal mouth and around goalies and, you know, protecting the goalies, all that stuff. I I get it, but it's not too often you see somebody basically body slammed to the ice. And you're and the weight class, as you pointed out so accurately, I mean, Panarin is what? 180 pounds. Yeah. I mean, he threw him around like a rag doll. Yep. I mean, was it going to take Panarin and the Rangers to be in the playoffs for Wilson to be suspended? I hate to think that's where this would have gone, but maybe, maybe well, it, that's what it was going to take. And, and on top of that, the fine had nothing to do with his abuse of Panarin. The fine he got was for the cross check to the head and the couple of punches while Buchnevich was down on the ice. So any discipline that he got, wasn't even for what he did to Artemi Panarin. It I know. was for the other play that happened just before it. And look, yeah. I mean, Panarin jumps on his back, right? Because he sees what he's doing with Dubuchnevich. Credit to Artemi Panarin because he knows who he's going up against. You know, and, and Wilson doesn't know who's on his back. And, you know, I'll give him the benefit of that doubt. But at the end of the day, you got to have it's better Panarin. control of yourself. It's you know, I'm wondering in that situation, yeah. uh, and I don't know the Rangers roster up and down. I don't know who would be considered their quote unquote tougher guy to deal with Wilson. You see Panarin being thrown around like that. Does somebody come off the bench? I know they would be suspended, but at this point, who cares? I mean, the Rangers aren't making the playoffs to protect your teammates. He took a swing at an offensive player who was vulnerable on the ice in Buchnevich. Then they throw, he throws Panarin down I mean, at what point do you just, if you're a Rangers player and just say, you know what, screw it, (laughs) we're coming after you. And if that means everybody get off the bench, everybody get off the bench, you get suspended. Who cares at that point? Send a message. If the officials aren't going to protect you, if the league's not going to protect you, sometimes you have to take it in your own hands. And I've seen some enforcers on Twitter that have said, well, if there was fighting in the league, yeah, this wouldn't, this wouldn't happen. No, guys, there is fighting in the league. Yeah, I mean, this this has nothing to do with fighting. I actually think building off of this, the reason why officiating and where the league is right now when it comes to these illegal hits, they're indecisive. They're the only officiating crew in the four major sports that deals with makeup calls that feels like if this team doesn't have a penalty and I've called four on this one, anything close is going to be called on the next play, or I'm going to swallow my whistle and nothing's going to happen. E, that's the only officiating crew that I could think of the big four that is so reactionary and sensitive to where the game is that that's how they officiate. 
And I think a lot of the problem is they don't know, one, what a penalty and what isn't. But there's a lot of confusion, I, I think, within the league about protection and hits to the head. What should be allowed? What should the suspensions be? Should there be a suspension? But anybody who thought this was legitimate at $5,000, I'm going to be very blunt. They need to be fired. They need to be fired because you, to me, you're not seeing the same thing we are all seeing. And there's a disconnect between what the league is trying to do and say and protecting your players and then actually enforcing those rules. Whoever made this decision, and it was a collective decision, should be let go immediately. Yeah, and here's part of the problem behind that. The league offices and a lot of front offices in the NHL, who are they run by? Former players, former executives who still think it's 1975. (laughs) And they don't. The last time the Flyers won the cup. (laughs) They don't. (laughs) No coincidence there, right? Um, You know, they don't see problems with this. You you know, the, the comments from Peter Laviolette. Well, it's just a hockey play. It's just a scrum. That's how I saw it. There's too many who think who like said that that, that who was that? Laviolette, Peter Laviolette after the game last night. I, you know, I, I did. I, I, part of me was wondering, did he say that because he was just trying to protect his teammate or his, his players? Well, of, course. of course he was, but, but still. you can still be critical though. Absolutely. And here's the problem. Like we saw Mark Recchi come out a number of years ago and say something um, against one of, I don't know if it was Marshand or somebody else on their team saying they need to stop doing it. And Recky was the guy who got vilified. How can he talk about his teammate that way? So you're never going to see that part of the culture of hockey change. Uh, but you, you need more outside thinkers. And, and I've said this with guys like Julian Breezeball, with guys like Kyle Dubas, you know, um, the Arizona, the Coyotes GM when he was still in the lead Chitron. You, you don't, you need more guys involved in the decision-making who have have a different perspective on things. And like even Steve Eiserman falls into this way. Remember Steve Eiserman circa 2011, 12, somewhere in that time range, yeah. uh, spoke with Darren Dreger and said fighting needs to be taken out of the game. Mm-hmm. And Steve Eiserman was vilified. How mm-hmm. can a guy like Steve Eiserman, who had Bob Probert on his wing, right. think like that and speak like that? So, you know, Steve, and I, and I remember I had a private conversation with Steve. He's like, I'll never, I'll never do that again. Because he was the one people went after. It's well, think not, about that, it's not the it's, act. You know what it is, though? It's kind of the world we live in today. It is. You can't have a dissenting view. You get shut down. Yeah. I mean, you're right. Uh, Part of me, while you were saying this, I, I was. I, I agree with you. I mean, look, we have, we have people who've never played hockey before. In high-profile positions, evaluating players. Correcty. I mean, we have guys Correct. to you know look at statistics. They look at information. They put it together, and they give it to their executives. They give it to their GM, and they make informed decisions. Hopefully for them about a particular team or player. Why couldn't you do the same thing for player safety? And part of me says, do you need somebody? And the thing is, I don't think these players would want it. One, the headache involved, but two, they don't need the money. It almost is, do they want to see the game turned around? Would be, and they'd have to probably be removed from their said team. But two guys immediately that come to mind, Wayne Gretzky and Mary Lemieux. Mm-hmm. Two guys that I'm sure, I mean, look, Lemieux retired the first time around because he felt like it was a 
what do you call it? Garage. garage. Yeah, garage. You remember that? I mean, Mary oh, yeah. And then you had, you know, Wayne Gretzky, who was never touched when he played, but I think he also wants to see the skilled players perform. Maybe you have to get some guys, you know, maybe it doesn't have to be at their level, but guys who are just strictly offensive players. Remember the, the Pat LaFontaine's that, you know, his career was derailed because of a, a cheap hit by Francois LaRue. Yep. Maybe you not need guys. By Dale Hunter. Yeah, maybe you need guys like that. Not necessarily the enforcers, because let's face it, the enforcers are going to protect the enforcers. They just are. It, it, because the, that's how those guys made their living. That's what I mean. So why, why in the world? And I, I appreciate your comments about John Scott. And look, he may be right and he may be perfectly fine to fill that that role. But it hasn't worked up to this point. And I do think maybe I'd like your idea of thinking outside the box and maybe you have multiple people that can weigh in because again, I go back to $5,000. There's a disconnect between messages regarding what the league says it wants to do with the players and protect them and what they're actually doing. And the fact that Tom Wilson is really being protected in this particular instance, shame on the NHL for allowing it. And if Tom Wilson does it again, they have nobody to blame but themselves. They really do. Yep. And, and to, to kind of further on John Scott, I mean, John Scott was totally against what Tom Wilson did. He thought John, sure. Tom Wilson should have been suspended and everything else. So Most rational was... people would be. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> I, don't, right. I don't understand. Like, you could be the, the worst person in the world. He said, yeah, that, that, was, that, was, that was dirty. I mean, yep. I, to me, I, the, again, I'm curious how they came up with the decision. I, we won't harp on this too much longer, but I, I will just say this. They need to be fired. And I don't like calling for people's jobs because I just, I don't like doing it, but you're not doing your job. This is your one. You have one job <laughs> and you failed. Yep. You failed. Yeah, so yeah. So you're, you're NHL player safety is not necessarily looking out for the safety of the players. No, they aren't. I think that's well put. Yep. Well put. And that's, and that's a problem. Uh, all right. The, the other big topic that came out, uh, especially involving the lightning was the return of Steven Stamkos. To the ice for practice. He did this uh, the day before Tampa Bay plays Dallas on Wednesday. Um, doesn't sound like he's going to get into a game here before the end of the season. Wasn't ruled out, but it doesn't sound like it's trending in that direction. But yeah. Greg, here's the big thing with this. That practice, and, it's, and John Cooper said it's probably the last practice they'll have until they start getting prepared for the playoffs. That was the first practice. They have had a healthy roster on the ice yeah. at the same time all year and this is the perfect time to have it with you know the playoff schedule to start sometime next week right um, to have all these guys together and you know Alex Korn was even talking about it you you can kind of sense some excitement you know they were practicing the power play Stan Kuts and Kucherov practicing on the power play on the first power play unit um it, it's it, it's got to be an up, uplifting feeling for Tampa Bay to see all these guys back together on the ice, knowing what's getting ready to start. Uh, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Throw in the fact that Jan Ruta looks like he may see some time before the playoffs. If not, he should be ready to go for game one. Also, two factor in, I think there's going to be a little bit of a, a pad time when it comes to the end of the regular season, when the postseason begins, at least for the Lightning. So you may get a few more games or a few more days for these players to heal and be ready to go at a time when the players probably feel like they're going through the motions and they can't wait for the postseason to begin to see your captain come back, your best offensive player come back and possibly one of your top six defensemen come back has to be 
maybe the biggest emotional boost any team who's going to be entering the playoffs does receive. And I mean that. I mean, there's For that's sure. a significant improvement than what we've seen so far over the last month, particularly offensively for the Tampa Bay Lightning. So that is very encouraging. Uh, to be fair, I think the, the next question we would need to ask, what type of impact do we think those two guys will legitimately have on the team, understanding they've missed a lot of time? And in Kucherov's case, he's missed all year. And we don't know that answer. I maintain, I think having them on the ice is going to be a breath of fresh air, particularly for a guy like Braden Point. If he's playing with Kucherov, which we, we would assume that's going to happen. But I think where they can make their marquee is really on the power play. Yeah. Because you're dealing with one less opponent and there's a little more ice. And I think with skilled players, that's a bigger deal. And they may be more impactful five on four than they would be five on five. Having to work through cross checks, having to work through the neutral zone being held up. I mean, there's a lot more fighting that goes on, not literally, <laughs> uh, but figuratively, uh, when you know, you're going more five on five than five on four. So I, th I think that is part of it. But certainly in terms of the emotional boost, it's going to feel like the season is new for this Lightning team, and that is very encouraging. Yeah, that's a great point. It, it, it's going to feel that way. You talk about hitting reset buttons and you know the playoffs or the second season, the NHL, and all the excitement that comes with it. But I think it is a refresher. It, it is an opportunity to kind of get that emotional boost uh, with those guys. Uh, I think their biggest impact will be on the power play, you know, they've the lightning, they've, their power play has been up and down through portions of this year. Um, you know, the first unit has lulled uh, here in a little bit as they try and find new things. They've, you know, they've tried Braden point in the bumper spot. They've had Alex Barry Boulay at the left circle. We've, we saw point the other day in Detroit back on the right circle with Barry Boulay, uh, you know, uh, positioned on the other side of the ice and, and try to utilize what he has over there on that yeah. side. So, you know, it, it has been a work in progress, but with those five guys and the other ones, of course, being point Kalorn and Victor Hedman on the top power play unit, there's such familiarity there and such chemistry there. Uh, they've worked with each other for so long that I don't think it's going to be like, it was, you know, there's legitimate questions. How is the chemistry going to work and the timing? And those are legitimate questions. But I think because these guys have been with each other for so long, as yeah. long as they're in hockey shape, and that is the one thing that John Cooper said coming out of that practice with those guys, specifically for Kucherov and Stamkos, was to make sure that their conditioning is up, their hockey conditioning. Right. You can't replicate it. You can't be in a situation where, okay, you can go right through into a 60-minute game. With the playoffs, who knows? It could be a 150-minute game, as we learned last year. Um, you know, there's the big difference between thinking you're ready for hockey games, and then getting into a hockey sure. game and realizing, oh boy, this is a lot harder than I remember. Um, but, but I think the chemistry and, and everything else, I don't think it's going to be an issue for this lightning team, just because they've been together for so long and they know each other. It's just a question of getting back. And, uh, you know, you know, Nikita Kucherov has been cleared for contact. Uh, that doesn't mean he's playing in any of these games. In fact, he won't play in either of these four remaining regular season games. Uh, but that, that was just it. Okay. He's been cleared for contact, but now he has to learn to kind of, you know, to take some hits and that won't happen until next week, because as I mentioned, this is probably the last regular season practice. Tampa Bay ends the season with uh, four games in what six days. 
uh, with with the back to backs Friday and Saturday in Dallas against Dallas and in Florida. Right. Uh, and then and then it's then it's time to start taking some bumps, start start taking some hits. And I think because of whatever the gap is going to end up being, I think that's going to be a huge advantage for Tampa Bay. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, the schedule in terms of, you know, finishing in first and maybe even finishing in second, I think is a little more challenging, challenging for Tampa Bay because of the schedule, as you said, with Dallas, and then you have Florida to end the season. But the way too that John Cooper he has handled the goaltender situation with Vassy getting a couple of days off over the weekend. I mean, I, I think this, this really does set up in many ways pretty well for the lightning, because if they can advance in the playoffs, let's say they get through the first round and, Kucherov and Stamkos come back at some point during that first round matchup and maybe even start it. The further you go, now they're getting into game shape uh, even more. They're probably fresher than everybody else, too. So now you have two of your best offensive players who, at a time when the schedule probably catches up with a lot of teams and players, the Lightning might be feeling pretty fresh in general. And Vassy, too. I mean, I think they've done a really good job of mapping out his playing time. I don't think anybody saw him not playing at all over the weekend that we saw. So that was a really good move by John Cooper and his staff. They had a plan. They don't share it with us, which is fine. But I think it's going to be proven to be very, very good for the Lightning because, let's face it, big picture, they're thinking Stanley Cup and... You kind of got that feeling, too, with how they've been up and down with their play recently. John Cooper never really felt worried or concerned because I think he felt like his team was going to be ready to go once the playoffs began. I think their play E is moving in that direction. But maybe in the back of his mind, he kind of knew this was going to be the plan anyways, that Kucherov and Stamkos, were, they're going to be back. They're going to be practicing. May not get them in games before, but they're going to be ready to go. And then as long as we have a pretty fresh Vassy, We're going to be pretty good here heading into the playoffs. Don't be left out. Make sure you subscribe to the Lightning Insider on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else where podcasts are found. Now, here again is Eric. Yeah, I found the goaltending situation quite interesting um, because it it did kind of come out of left field a a little bit to steal a baseball phrase. Uh, I don't think anybody could have thought that there was no way Vasilevsky wasn't starting one of those games. And in fact, on top of that, Greg, they didn't even take him. They didn't even bring Andre Vasilevsky to Detroit. They oh, left relax. him back here in Tampa, um, which is even more interesting. And, you know, the, you kind of, you know, the spidey senses went up a little bit uh, on Friday when they announced that Spencer Martin was recalled to the taxi squad, you know, because teams are required to have three goalies with the team, traveling with the team. Uh, of course, your first fear is that it's an injury. Oh, boy, yeah. who's hurt? You know, is, is McElhaney hurt? Did, did something happen to him? And, um, you know, so then to f- come to find out that, Vasilevsky didn't start either of those games. Uh, didn't get a chance to ask John Cooper ahead of time uh, to expand on the thought process with Vasilevsky, especially with the Stamco situation kind of being the topic uh, of his post-game session or his post-practice session. Um, but it, it, it is interesting that they chose to rest them because there's a balance. You know, you've heard the players talk about it. Even John Cooper's talked about it. They, they care where they finish. I don't know if they're pushing where they finish, but they do care where they finish. They, they do want the home ice situation, but they didn't start their Vezina goaltender 
in either of two games against one of the league's bottom teams, it didn't really cost them. They played well enough in the game on Saturday. They should have won that game. They deserved to win that game. The fact that they couldn't get the extra point in the shootout is disappointing, but with the way they played, you know, it had nothing to do with the goaltending. And then of course with Christopher Gibson getting the start in Sunday's game, again, play well enough to win, did earn the victory in that one. But now you've got Vasilevsky whose last start was Thursday against Dallas. Uh, I'm curious to see how many games of the final four he gets, because there is a back-to-back there. Typically you don't start your number one goalie on back-to-back nights. We've seen it. They did it earlier this month. So how much do you care? How much do you emphasis are you putting on getting home ice, especially with your last two games against Florida? And now we know because of Florida's victory against Dallas on Monday, that no matter what happens between Tampa Bay and Dallas, those Florida Tampa Bay games will have meaning. So I'm curious to see how the coaching staff handles Andre Vasilevsky with four games and six nights, knowing that there's probably a three, four, five day gap before the playoffs start. Yeah, and I wonder too, would it change Cooper's decision if the league came out a couple of days before the regular season ends to let them know what the schedule is going to look like? In other words, if you know you're going to have a long layoff in between the regular season and the postseason, is John Cooper more inclined to play Vassy those four games? Or, you know, if the playoffs start a little sooner, are you more inclined to go three and four? I don't know what the answer is to that. I think for all of us, we'd like to know what's going to happen with playoff schedule. You know, you've we've done this show together now for a while. And I still believe that I don't think every team is going to hit 56 games. I think you could easily see a scenario where Vancouver and Calgary don't shame on the players, you know, who probably have some incentives and clauses in their contract to hurt certain certain statistical achievements. But I think for the sake of the league, and starting the playoffs in time or on time, they may have to cancel some games to do that. And maybe not. I I, I don't know what the thought process is there, but I I certainly think not having fans in the stands in Canada makes it a little bit easier to cut teams who aren't in the playoff hunt. It makes it a little easier for you to do away with, with those remaining games. But maybe that changes John Cooper's mindset a bit. I don't know, but... What I do know is if he plays four more, that's what, 43 starts this year? And I think that's probably where some of us felt like he was going to be at. Yeah, before we get, yeah, before we get to questions, I, I want to touch on that. Um, yeah. First of all, there are television and sponsorship situations that come into play when you start talking about maybe canceling the last four games yeah. between Calgary and Vancouver. So there are other considerations fair to point. take in, into yeah, account there. Uh, and you could also easily start other divisions – before the North starts, or you could even start the North. If those two teams are out of playoff contention and it looks like it's going to be the case with each of those two teams, you could even start the North division. Even while those games are, are being on, because you do have a schedule to keep, you know, you do have to worry about the end date and, you know, assuming the Olympics do take place this summer and certainly everything is pointing towards that at this point. Um, you know, NBC has to be off the clock by the time the, Olympics come around. So there are those things to consider too. So I could easily see obviously May 12th, which is when 11th and 12th is when they had discussed starting the playoffs, even with this is back when Dallas and Tampa Bay were supposed to end the season on May 10th. And it's been shuffled around a couple of times. It's not going to start on the 11th or the 12th. I could see it starting the weekend. I could see it starting next weekend with game games, one in other divisions. 
and then maybe you start the the North Division because we see this typically. Other series start a day or two sometimes after whatever first uh, game is played. You'll see teams have played two playoff games before another series has even started. You could easily see that scenario. Uh, and the other thing is too is I, I know we don't know what the schedule might look like. The league has let the team know these are what we're playing with. These are the scenarios that we're working with. So they're not caught off guard. So that especially guys like Ryan Bellick who's in charge of the travel for the team has to start putting plans together ahead of time. You know, you can't kind of leave him hanging in the dark to try and get an entire tap traveling party, you know, to a, a whatever city they have to get to. Maybe they can uh, stay at a motel six. Yeah. <laughs> well, the light will be left on for him. <laughs> um, you know, so the, those, those things do have to be, uh, t- yeah, so, so, yeah. and look, cause, you, cause you've heard John Cooper several times in the last week, sort of dance around this. So they have an idea. They don't know what the plan is. The plan could change tomorrow, but at least they have scenarios to which they can work with. And I think that that is something that John Cooper and the coaching staff is already aware of and knows what it's going to look like in terms of when the playoffs might start. So, but, but still very interesting to see how they're going to handle the, uh, you know, Andre Vasilevsky's load here. And, and never did I think that we, we'd start to hear load management come into play with the NHL and yet here we are. Yeah. Well, we never thought we were going to talk about Tom Wilson being finally $5,000. And here we are <laughs> talking about it. So nothing surprised me at this point. Yep. Yep. All right. Uh, let's get to these questions before we wrap up. There's a couple left over from last week. Uh, there's one from Nancy asking why the NBC sports um, analysts are allowed to be between the benches when Brian Engblom is not, doesn't seem fair. Uh, first of all, they're national rights holders. They have a little bit more sway and a push. Uh, and at the end of the day, there's still a bubble, you know, between the players' benches. Um, and, and look, I, I think the less people you have somewhat in close contact with the players, the better. As we know, we've said it before, Greg, the players are the product. You protect the product as much as you can. So while NBC has had Brian Boucher, and I think Boucher is the only guy who's been between the benches, right? Because Pierre hasn't. I've seen games with Pierre um, McGuire, and he's been up in the booth, or he's been calling it remotely. Um, You know, even the other night when NBC was here covering the game um, with Dominic Moore, Dominic Moore was up in the press box. So I think it's only been Brian Boucher, if memory serves me correct, from the national games that I've seen. Did he have his goalie mask on? He did not have his goalie mask on. Still talks about his uh, shutout record, though. Oh, of course. <laughs> what else is he going to talk about? <laughs> you know, with with vaccinations the way they are, and I was talking about this with Dave the other day. You know, the issues they're having in Canada are well documented. They just they can't get the vaccines out quick enough to everybody. I'm assuming most of those announcers have been vaccinated. I'm Don't sure. Do it. I'm sure they have. I mean, here here would be the question. Do you think having somebody in between the benches adds to the broadcast in a significant way? And if you do, then I would allow the broadcaster to be inside the bench or in between the team's benches. Because to me, there's no risk. It's very minimal. And that's if if, though you think it adds a lot of value to a broadcast. I, I got to be honest. I don't know. For, for me, it, it doesn't watching it. I think for the broadcasters, it does because they can pick up on what's being said. Absolutely. And if they, and if they can relay that to us, 
you know, I think Pierre Maguire does a pretty good job of that. Brian Engblom obviously does as well. I like hearing that because it's it's inside baseball. So if you feel like that's a big part of the broadcast and you think the audience is missing that and the broadcaster, let's put it this way, is comfortable going in between the benches, I would allow it. I don't see any problem with it. Yeah, and look, I, I think to what you just said, they can get a feel and a temperature for what's going on on the ice and that can I think be it's valuable to the fans. I think there is a value in that for sure. Um, you know, especially when there's like controversial plays or, you know, there's questions where, you know, maybe they overhear a conversation between the officials and, and a bench, uh, you know, and what they can relay what's being done there. So I, I think there is value to that for sure. Uh, I look, it's, it's, it'll be back to normal next season by, you know, for all intents and purposes. Uh, but I think they're just going to let the season play out the way that it has been because you don't want to take any unnecessary risks uh, involved in that situation. Um, Joyce had a question also, any rumblings about the playoffs timing dates, potentially playing the two, three, two format to cut down on travel will it be condensed. Um, I've, I've heard some talk or at least some people have talked about the two, three, two format. Uh, as opposed to the two two one 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 situation, I I don't think the league is changing that. Um, I, I don't see a reason for the league to change that. If you're traveling, you're traveling. Um, you know, look like we know the Lightning have been vaccinated. By the time they get to the playoffs, almost all their traveling party will have had their second dose, and there will be two weeks past their second dose. Yeah. And I'm sure other teams are in the same situation. So I think the travel concerns are alleviated certainly much more than it was in January or February when things started out. Uh, so I don't see them changing. I think they're going to stick with the two, two, one, one, one format. As far as trying to condense games down again, I don't think that's going to be the case either. The bubble last year was one situation. This is different. This because there is travel involved here. I don't think they're going to, you know, you know, go with like seven games, seven games in like 12 days or something like that. I think they're going to try and do it as it normally is every other day yeah. in a playoff series. Again, I haven't heard anything about that part in particular, right. but I don't, I don't see that changing. Yeah, I think the playoffs, you want to keep things as normal as possible. And so I, I don't know if you change the format. I don't know if you change the, the scheduling at all. Because at this point, I think every team probably has been vaccinated. And I think it'd be an interesting question. If a team hasn't been vaccinated, what are you waiting for? Because you get to the playoffs and you start doing your, your vaccine shots. You know the effects those can have. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, I, I had one and it was... It was pretty bad the next day. And the last thing you want is a bunch of guys who are getting their first vaccine shot during the, the hardest time of the year. You know, so I, I think I, I would assume most most of the teams, if not all of them, have been vaccinated up to this point. Yeah. And of course, certain states have had different criteria and everything like that for when certain ages were eligible. We certainly know that here in Florida, the team. I think jumped the gun by maybe a week, if I'm not mistaken, in terms of when they got their first dose, because they did the two shot. I know, Greg, you did the one shot. I did the two shot. Uh, I had no effects whatsoever from either of them, fortunately for me. But you're right. There are some effects that could be taking place. And I think that's why, like, the the Lightning's first dose they got, there was a two-day gap. Remember, there was a Sunday and a Monday. They canceled the practice on a Monday. And then the next day we heard Blake Coleman talk about getting their shot. They did their second one when there was another two day gap. And that was between the uh, uh, first Columbus game and the second Columbus game a couple weeks ago. Right. So they timed it out so that there was an opportunity to, if there were any effects, they wouldn't be the next day, right. It would be a two day gap between they did it. So the lightning did it smart uh, in that aspect. 
with how they were able to get that done. But you're right. Um, get it done. Uh, teams should be vaccinated by now, uh, unless they're in Canada, because that's a completely different situation they're dealing with up there. Uh, from Chris, if Kucherov and Stamkos are both back for the playoffs, who gets removed to make room for them? This is the, let me do my math here, uh, $18 million question. You've upped the ante. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm trying to take the combined cap hits of the two players. Um, uh, look, I mean, Alex Barbelay is the first guy that most likely comes out. He, you just basically think he's placeholding for Nikita Kucherov on right wing there with Braden Point, Andre Plot, And then you assume that Steven Stamkos slots back in with Alex Kalorn and Anthony Sorelli. Um, so Barry Belay comes out. And then the, the question, and we've had this debate a couple of times, I know, comes down to Matthew Joseph, Ross Colton, Tyler Johnson. That's why John Cooper gets paid to make those decisions. And we can just speculate about him. Yeah, I, I said the other day, for me, Ross Colton would be in the lineup. I think John Cooper is not going to make that same decision. I think he's going to go with Tyler Johnson, who will be on the fourth line to start the playoffs. Maybe he has a shorter leash, but I just can't see a guy he's had history with in the playoffs, successful history, ends up being the guy that sits to start the playoffs. Yep, I'm with you. I'm with that thought process too. Um, It's going to be a tough decision, uh, but I think that's going to end up being the right one to start. We'll see where things go, but I think that's going to be. And look, because we've seen Tyler Johnson play also between Joseph and Maroon, right? So they got an idea of what that might look like if they decide to take a Colton out and put Johnson in that fourth line role. But uh, we'll see. We'll have that answer in a little over a week, hopefully. Uh, From our friend Prezemic, who would you rather have right now, David Savard or Kevin Shattenkirk? Hmm. Interesting, interesting question. Shattenkirk's not doing well at Anaheim, at least the numbers. And He's the power not. play points haven't been there, and Anaheim stinks. That was a curious decision, I thought, to begin with, but it was his decision, and I respect it. Shattenkirk had the luxury last year of being paid while also at the same time having something to prove. And he was motivated, I think, to have a, a tremendous bounce-back year, which he did. Savard's in a different spot, although Savard in a situation where he can legitimately win a Stanley Cup. I don't think Savard has had the same luxury as Shattenkirk getting acclimated to the Lightning players in the system, but that's normal because he came over at the trade deadline, not you know at the beginning of the year. I think Savard overall is the better defenseman, and I think we're hoping that he plays like that once the playoffs begin. So I think the politically correct answer would be incomplete. <laughs> but you don't you don't ask these questions, at least on our show, for politically correct all the time. So I would say I would take Savard because I think his impact can be bigger than Shattenkirk. That being said, if he came back and said, well, look, you want to stand like up with Shattenkirk, he must have done something, right? And I, I'd say, you know, you're probably right. Hard to disagree. <laughs> And, and the easy the easy answer is to say Shattenkirk because he did help you win a Stanley Cup and obviously the overtime goal in Game Five yeah big deal um, or Game Four rather that made it a three one series uh, that was a huge huge moment on the series look he had that huge goal in the clinching game against Columbus too right like he he brought it to within one goal game that allowed Anthony Sorelli mm-hmm. to tie the game in the final minute and a half and send that game into overtime so he's he can provide that part of the game where maybe Savard is not going to give you that aspect. 
So they are com- two completely different defensemen. Their style of play is completely different. I think for what this team needs right now, I think Savard is probably the guy you'd rather have because he brings some physicality. He brings the ability to block shots. I mean, he's, I think he's leading the league in block shots, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, so he brings that element. He just brings a different element to his game. Uh, and look, from a selfish standpoint, I'd much rather have Kevin Shattenkirk on a Zoom call <laughs> because he is a lot more, you know, engaging and a lot more. And that's nothing that's not I'm not taking anything away from any other player who gets on the Zoom calls. These can't be easy. But even in the locker room interactions that I would have with Kevin Shattenkirk last year from a media standpoint, he was great. He would talk to you about anything. But when it comes down to what's being on the ice, I think if you're asking me right now, which defenseman I'd rather have, I think I'd want the more rugged type of guy because you have enough finesse on well, this team. You know what? I, I would I would feel better about my answer and probably both of our answers with Savard if I knew I was getting better production from Sergachev on the back end. And, and maybe maybe that goal the other night helps him. And maybe. And you know, what are you getting from Cooch and Stammer too? Because let's face it, the offense has been shaky. The defense has gotten better. And while you want to play good defense heading into the playoffs, first and foremost, you do need to score goals. And the thinking was if Shattenkirk leaves, well, that offense can be replaced because, you know, Sergachev is going to take another step in his progression as an elite offensive defenseman. We haven't seen that with his shot this year. Is that going to change in the playoffs? Could be. What are you going to get from from Kucherov and Stamkos? I don't know. So there's a lot of uncertainty there. And so maybe that's why I don't feel as confident, even though I am picking Savard over Shattenkirk. From Dustin, uh, is reform needed with Department of Player Safety in the next CBA? They give out meaningless fines and tiny suspensions. Yes, 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 yes. I personally believe it is. It, it is. Uh, it, and here's the other thing, and, and we didn't get into this earlier in the discussion, but uh, until the NHLPA starts to stand up for the victimized players in these situations because they always stand up for the ones who are being suspended. They're always looking to get the suspension reduced and everything like that. I mean, look, it took Steve Moore to sue Todd Bertuzzi in a civil case. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody was standing up for Steve Moore when his career was ended by a situation on the ice. And again, circumstances were different. There was motivation behind what Bertuzzi did. I'm not trying to say that they're identical, but until you get that situations, you're going to have this maximum fine allowance under the CBA because that's what the Players Association and the league agrees upon. And until that changes, you're never going to see more meaningful fines and, and to some extent, uh, suspensions handed out as well. So, uh, But, yes, I, I think there needs to be a different mindset coming out of NHL player safety. And let's remember, too, okay, we're all pointing fingers at George Peros, rightfully so, but he also has somebody to answer to. And that's the league's director of hockey operations, who I believe sure. if somebody's wrong, I'm sure they'll let me know. I think it's Colin Campbell. I think Colin right. Campbell used to be in charge of player safety, mm-hmm. but guess what else Colin Campbell used to do? He used to play. He used to be a team executive. So back to my point earlier, burn it down, burn <laughs> it down. from Keith. This is a good question. Who is your favorite player to watch past or present? This is easy. I'm gonna let you start with this one. Cause I know this the answer. Is easy. God, Mary Lemieux <laughs> for sure. There was nobody better. I would pay top dollar to watch that guy play probably right now. He may score 25 goals right now. Yeah. Best player I ever saw did things with the puck that not too many people could do. 
And the thing about Lemieux, when you watched him play, like there's a lot of talk about McDavid and what he's doing. Just go back and look at Lemieux's numbers and then understand the leading scorers in the history of the NHL. He is the only one to do what he did in less than a thousand games. He's just the best I ever saw. And I would, I would pay it again to, to see him play. He was that good. Yeah, his combination of finesse and size Ugh. and his skating ability were just unmatched. It's unmatched. I mean, we talk about how Eric Lindros sort of changed the game because of his size. I think he was 6'5", 225, 230 yeah. pounds. You know, um, you know, he could play the game tough, but he also had the high-end skill at a time where there wasn't players like him in the league. But Lemieux sort of set that tone, right? He wasn't quite as big as Lindros, but he was big. Was he Lemieux 6'4"? Yeah, I mean, on I skates, right? six, yeah. six. You know? Yeah, so um, he's easily, and I got the opportunity to watch him live, fortunately, a few times before he finally hung up the skates for good. Um, yeah, there was, no, there was no better combination of, of grace and skill uh, than Mario Lemieux. And he did it in an era where, you know, this is why he called it a garage league, because he would get slashed on the wrists all the time. And I believe it was Adam Graves who actually broke uh, Lemieux's wrist, and that's what yeah. that went in the playoffs. Garage yeah. League comment that he made. So he had to battle through so much stuff. And to what you said earlier, um, you know, how, how much better would Mario Lemieux have been in an era where there wasn't as much of that, where there is the crackdown on slashing now? Uh, I can't imagine what his numbers would look like in this era compared to the era that he had to fight through because a lot of that, especially towards the tail end of his career, was in the dead puck era. Yeah. And then look at the numbers he put up and he made. Others better. The other thing too is just with the eye test. He's just so much better than everybody else. Yep. And that's that's unusual in professional sports. But he was he was the best. Just go watch YouTube highlights him. Yep. I, I used to enjoy watching Pavel Bure as well, even though he never came across oh, yeah. the red line. Uh, but boy, when he was uh, high end speed with the puck on a stick, there was no more exciting player with the puck on a stick in a breakaway situation or even on a two on one than watching Pavel Bure up and down the ice. Uh, another one from Prezemic. Uh, what price does Tampa Bay need to pay to send Tyler Johnson to Seattle instead of a more valuable, unprotected player? Uh, also, I saw on Athletic two la- latest mock drafts. Writers said that the Kraken would pick Cal Foot. Will Julian Breezebob be fine with that? Um, there will be a price. This all depends to pay. on. I think it all depends on who you want to protect and what's yeah. the format you're you're using here. Yep. Which and I'm going to put something together on this here in the coming days about what I would do. Um, and one of them would be protecting Calfoot, um, which would open up a couple of other things. But remember, there are certain criteria that teams have to meet. We saw one of them met by the Lightning, who haven't announced it yet, but they will. And by the time you're listening to this, maybe they've already announced it. But Spencer Martin has agreed to a contract extension. Mm-hmm. He was scheduled to be a group six unrestricted free agent, which means he hadn't met the number of game criteria. So he could have chosen to be a UFA at the end of the year by signing him. The lightning now will be able to meet the criteria of exposing at least one goaltender under contract for next season to the expansion draft because Andre Vasilevsky is one. We saw that they signed both their prospects, uh, Miftikoff and Almafelt to entry-level deals that start next year. Um, and now Spencer Martin. And Spencer Martin fulfills that requirement to have to expose one. The other one is, is, is defensemen. You have to expose a defenseman who has met a certain number of game criteria over the last two seasons or this year. Uh, so you do have to 
fulfill that element as well. They'll have no problems filling the forward criteria, but that's the more interesting one to me is the defense situation. So if it's me, I'm protecting Cal foot because this team has a, this franchise is not really developed defensemen that they've drafted on their own. He's one guy that can develop into a potential top five guy. I don't want to lose him that this. So would you protect four defensemen? I would. Because that, that would, to me, that protects then Chernak, Sergachev, and Hedman, correct? Correct. In addition to Flip, in your correct. example. Yeah, I, I, here's, here's my thinking. I would not package picks and players nope. so you can get rid of Tyler Johnson. Nope. And if you have to lose Ryan McDonough, so be it. I just want to do it. You, you, you gave away my spoiler. <laughs> but sorry. by process of elimination, people figured it out anyway. Yeah, they would. No, but I'm with you. I, yeah, there would be a price to pay, but I'm not. I don't know if I'm willing to, to pay it. Uh, and I don't even know if McDonough would be the guy that would be chosen either. Right, right. But I, I mean, think you take that. Donnie risk. Gord, right? Yeah, there, there's a number of guys at yeah, Seattle. Sure. Look, all, all we know is the Lightning are going to lose a pretty good player, no matter who it is, to the they expansion will. draft, unless there's a backdoor deal. But again, Julian Breezeball has already traded away a ton of draft picks, so there's yeah. not a whole lot in the cupboards to deal with unless you're dealing with uh, with prospects. Uh, two here from Pat, um, is Luke Shen locked in as the number six defense for the playoffs? No, he is not because Jan Ruda is back. I think as somebody said, when I mentioned that Ruda was back out on the ice today, Oh, I forgot we had Jan Ruda. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, Jan Ruda to me right now is the number six guy, uh, most likely playing alongside Mikhail Sergachev. Yeah. Uh, we've mentioned the cap issues. That's why Luke Shen has gotten a ton of playing time here. Um, you know, but no, by no means is Luke Shen locked in as number six. I would say he's a number seven, maybe even number eight when we get to the playoffs. Yeah, with with Foot getting more playing time and the uncertainty with Ruta, it looked like Shen was going to be that sixth, and maybe that ends up happening to start the playoffs. I'm assuming Ruta gets into a game, and even if he doesn't, you wonder if they're just leaning towards him anyways to start the playoffs. Understanding you know what you have in Shen, and then maybe Foot is end up Foot ends up being your seventh in that instance. Yeah. A couple more quick ones. Uh, Kenny, why did player safety stop at a fine for Tom Wilson? Kalorn got an Eastern conference final game. For Cause they're Florida. dumb. Cause they don't know what they're doing. That's well, the only reason. The, the other part of that is, is Alex Kalorn broke a rule. There's yeah. no, there's not necessarily a rule in the book that Tom Wilson broke. He broke, he crossed the line. He probably broke the code, but those are unwritten rules. Mm-hmm. Alex Kalorn broke a written rule, and that's why he got suspended. And it was deserved. It was a bad hit that Alex Kalorn yeah. delivered. He's not trying to do that, um, but he ended up, you know, he crossed the line under a rule that's in the books, and that's why he got a more severe penalty. Uh, another one from Pat. Can Nikuta Kucherov play in one last game without wrecking the salary cap? No. No, he cannot. So you uh, think he just doesn't play in the regular season because of the salary cap, even if he's ready to come back, correct? At this point, for sure. Okay. Because there would have to be too many moves made for that to happen. Um, what about so Stamkos? No, he was already under the cap, right? So no, he's, he's, he's fine. Um, and, you know, you, you would just move Barry Boulay back to the taxi squad. He doesn't require waivers. It's an easy transition if you're going to do that in terms of the cap. Uh, from Noel time, is Anthony Sorelli still a slam dunk for expansion protection? In my mind, absolutely. I know his offensive numbers have dipped. He hasn't scored in quite a while. That does not take away from who Anthony Sorelli is going to be two, three, four years down yeah, the road. I, it's not even a question in my mind. Yeah, the age and what he's given you so far up to this point I, it makes it a no-brainer. And I appreciate that. I understand it. 
and he hasn't just dipped offensively. He is high. He's fallen off the cliff a bit <laughs> and they're going to need him to get going in the playoffs. But that does not mean that you do not protect a player like Sorelli. Yep, for sure. I'm with you. And I think uh, even as the offense has, has dropped, I've seen at least in the last week or so his style of game come back. And that's the yeah, aggressive fourth check and being around the net. And he's had a couple of good looks and chances, especially shorthanded. That's a sign that maybe his game is coming back to where we expect it to be. Uh, all right, Greg. Hey, by the time we do this next one, we'll be talking about the playoffs. Finally, we'll be talking about the matchup. Hopefully we'll have a schedule by then. Uh, we'll have to see it all goes. Um, but yeah, our next podcast will be a playoff preview. We're going to start to ramp it up a little bit more once we get to the postseason uh, on what we want to do. So um, Greg, as always, great conversation, my friend, and I look forward to seeing you at the rink here in the next coming days. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Thanks. E. Appreciate it. All right. Uh, for Greg Lanelli, I am Eric Erlinson. This is the lightninginsider.com podcast. Don't forget, if you want to sign up, go to lightninginsider.com. There's a monthly plan and there's a yearly plan as well if you want to sign up catch greg weekdays at 12 to one o'clock with dave michigan power launch power play this is a lightning insider.com podcast we'll be back next week save big on brunch for mom all in the kroger app get 16 ounce packs of flavorful angus 90 percent lean ground sirloin for 4.99 each with a digital coupon then buy two get two free on 12 packs of delicious coca-cola pepsi or seven up all with your card Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.